1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's Byte.com. That's byt dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: The following podcast is a DR Media production.
1: All right, people. I am so excited. I feel like... The woman who is my guest today is not only a hero of mine, I've read so many things she's written. I'm so lucky to have her here in L.A. If you don't know Alice Firing, today you're going to get to know her. Alice, thank you so much for making time to come to the Pacific Design Center <laughs> which is quite a feat. It's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Is it it's like it's like Tetris just to get up to the studio. It's pretty wild, yeah. <laughs> Alice, I'm so stoked you're here. I have briefly met you once. You probably don't remember, but it was at Spago and you were doing a lecture there and it was- Last year. Yeah. And it was, it was in LA. It was like a year or two ago. Just last year. Yeah. And it was so inspiring to me. I loved it. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Everything that you were saying. And the thing I loved is you came in like no bullshit and LA can just kind of be a little fake and phony. And there isn't that many people who cut the bread however they want, you know? And you are a fellow New Yorker. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I grew up in New York. We are simpatico. So tell my listeners, I guess, because I bet a lot of them do know who you are because you are very well-known in the wine community. But for those who are new to wine and learning about wine, and by the way, everyone... Alice has a new book that we're going to talk about called Natural Wine for the People, exclamation point. But also she has many other books. So if you're looking to learn about wine, it's an amazing resource. But Alice, give
0: us a little like breakdown of Alice. Breakdown of Alice of, okay. (laughs) Alice was born in Brooklyn. Amazing. Which part? (laughs) Borough Park. Oh, amazing. Puck. Maimonides, raised in Flatbush for the first four years, was slept in Long Island. Like, a horrible, horrible place. But anyway, (laughs) I was brought up as an Orthodox Jew. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I know. It was one of the little known facts of Alice. Went to Yeshiva for 12 years. You did? Yes, I did. It It was not in the days when there was crazy religion. It was just Orthodox. Right. And so I was drinking wine from probably two or three years old, on Friday night with seltzer. Oh,
1: okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> Is that? I was like, wait a minute. I didn't know this was part of
0: Orthodox Judaism. Everybody's drinking wine. Yeah, right, but bad wine. Yeah. But still, it gets you buzzed. And let's skip all of that stuff. I never really wanted to be a wine writer. I was studying dance therapy. I practiced dance therapy up in Massachusetts for 10 years. During that time, I was Incredible. drinking, 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 tasting, 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 because... I had a roommate who was in the wine industry. Ah. When I came back to New York to write, it was one of the things that I felt I knew something about. <laughs> yeah, no. You're moving. You're moving. <laughs> right. You're drinking. Right. You're had yes. Yeah. Just like everybody who starts. <laughs> I have opinions, and they're important. I'm going to write about it. But I wrote about food and design as well. Mm. And I was going to do fiction and plays And I didn't really become a wine writer until Food and Wine Magazine gave me a book in 2001 to write. I was tasting like crazy and I realized the wine world was in deep shit and I need to find out why. So I started doing a lot of investigation, found out that what was going on in the wine world was beyond New York, New Oak, which back in 2000 was everywhere. It was prevalent. Yeah. And we thought, okay, it's just Robert Parker and his fat fruity wines and new oak. But uh, ha 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 ha, <laughs> it was more than that. And so the wines that I figured out that I liked were organically farmed and they just had grape and they didn't have any of the other 72 ingredients and processing additives or any heavy duty machinery. Yeah, And that's when I said, I have something to say here. And I mm-hmm. wrote book number one, blah, blah, blah. And so that was, that was me in the shorthand. And at that point, I got boxed into the corner and Alice Faring, you are a wine writer. So that happened 20 years ago. That's amazing. I mean,
1: also, this could be your second coming.
0: You could write about something other than wine. Yeah, I We're going to get to
1: that. I know. <laughs> I have a feeling. I was like, mm, I yeah. feel like there's a pivot that mm-hmm. could be coming. Yes, Pivots it. are hot right now, Alice. The are pivot. They? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. If you do one career, you're successful at it, then you pivot, and then you do something else. And it's everyone's like, oh, my God. Wait, have you ever met Robert Parker? Yes. So, like, when I started buying wine, I want to hear about it. And maybe you don't want to talk about it. I don't know. But mm-hmm. when I started buying wine, I was allowed to buy wine at animal. Mm -hmm. My business partners now, John and Vinny, I was their employee then. They were the first people who would give me the chance I needed without being like, are you a master sommelier? So it was like this amazing moment for me. But all the customers were like, what's the Parker score? And I was like, it doesn't matter. Who cares? They don't have one. Like, I don't understand this obsession with one person's palate because wine, and I feel like this feeds into the book you just put out, which is like, wine is so subjective. So what was it like, Robert Parker, like, I feel like you were the first voice to really come out against that. I was
0: the voice that came <laughs> out against it and against him or, or at least what he built his empire on mm-hmm. the, the score. And so I don't want to really personalize it against Parker. Who no, was, no. You know, in his own right, a fairly charming and charismatic man and Flawed like we all are. Probably has a couple of blind spots like we all do. But personally, he was just doing a shtick, right? What everybody else put him up on a pedestal for is a different thing. That he went along with it and he just didn't do anything to change it. I have a little problem with it. But anyway, what was it like to go up against him? I did it because... All of my colleagues at the time complained bitterly about the one world, one taste that we were all being confronted with, that there was no variety in wine, that it was really just came in one size mm-hmm. or two sizes, big and extra big. Yeah. And, oh my God, I remember this. And fruit and powerful fruit. And the difference that it was- like
1: hangover like, light and like you can't get out of bed.
0: Right. <laughs> and they all complained about it because it was terroir erasing. Mm -hmm. and everything that we loved about wine was disappearing, but in print, nobody did anything but praise. So at that point, I only had my blog, Mm. and I guess it was one of those blog successes. Yeah. Uh, Before that, I wrote for great publications like the New York Times and Time Magazine, but it was really the blog that gave voice to that. But still, I was just a little tiny dot in the wine universe, and I said nobody's going to listen to me. So that's why I had nothing to lose. I wasn't making any money. Right. (laughs) I I didn't have a platform. And so I just went, I'm just going to like write the book that I want to write. And that felt great. Yeah. So that was the first book you published. It felt great, but it was scary because you never really, if you're an introvert, which I am, Mm -hmm. it is, I I don't know whether anybody really likes calling people out. Right. Um, It's not a fun thing to do, but I felt it was such a disservice to the wine world and it was whistleblowing, and I felt I had no other choice. It must be kind of a trip,
1: though, flash forward 20 years to where we are today. Like, it's a trip for me, flash forward 10 years I've been working very seriously in wine. I mean, layering knowledge, you know. But right. um, well, when was Animal? When did you start? Animal? I started there 10 years ago.
0: Okay. So a lot has changed. And I remembered when you started there. Yeah.
1: A lot has changed. There's way more wine out here. It blows my mind. Even the last three years, a lot has changed, mm-hmm. but it must be wild. Like you know, for me, you were so associated with New York for so long. And like, we were out here, this like satellite region, almost Mm. like kind of pulling it up by the bootstraps. And how, how has, how have the last five years been for you? Is it, is it something that like, is is it a double-edged sword? Like, it's happy, but it's kind of, to me, like, the natural wine thing is kind of out of control, but amazing. I have, like, mutual—I'm going to pour some wine. I feel okay. like that we're getting heavy. We're Wait. getting
0: heavy. But this is Old Vine Macabeo. Excellent. Yeah. They have nothing but old vines out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, everybody. What are you tasting? Yeah, what do you taste? How does it smell? <laughs> are meat? you getting the dried apricot? Oh, this is Jesus. the Pont triplet It's yeah. pretty good.
1: Yeah. It's damn good. It's pretty impressive. It's almost like, I hate to say it, I kind of like it better than Tom Love, the Matassa Blossom. It's a little bit different though.
0: So this is going to be zero zero and Tom isn't necessarily zero
1: zero. Yeah. And this is only two days of skin contact. Mm-hmm. So
0: a little bit lighter. This is super delicious. So Tom isn't zero zero from Matassa. Not everything. He's not mm-hmm. dogmatic about it. It's going to be super, super tiny, but he's not dogmatic yeah. about it.
1: I want to know your reaction to the wine world now, but okay. we'll build up to we'll it. But be- what are your standards for wine? Because it's something I'm interested in as well. Like if a winemaker has a weird vintage and they have to add a little sulfur, like, is that okay in your mind?
0: Yeah, or? totally. It's okay. Yeah. I think it's really important to know the producer know where their heart is, know how they work and know that they're not Working dogmatically, you're going to make a lot of mistakes if you work dogmatically. And I think it is really essential to bring a wine to the public that is delicious. Mm -hmm. And that is what is delicious is way broader and more varied now than it was 10 years ago, that it was 20 years ago. Thank goodness. Yeah. So I am fine with a bit of sulfur. Sometimes I even, oh my God, go up to 40 parts per million (laughs) if something is completely and utterly delicious.
1: Yeah.
0: I agree. I am in full agreement with you. I am
1: not as dogmatic. I think that's one thing that maybe frustrates people in LA about Helen's a little bit. Maybe I don't know. Mm. I assume I try and make no enemies. I love everybody. There's enough room for all of us. High tides rise, all ships. That's sort of my mentality.
0: I'm a little bit less. (laughs) I know. You know. But I like that. It's like if you put a yeasted rosé in front of me, like I like. I have no tolerance for yeast. Like explain now. explain to people what a yeasted rosé would be like okay. so they understand. So native yeast fermentation is one of the basic requirements I have for wine and Same. natural wine. Yeah. And so that is you just let the wine start fermenting naturally. You're not adding a yeast or yeast food. So it's very similar to making yeast from a wild mother. Mm. And we all have wild mothers, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but so, what happens to that is just, it really is a reflection. It's the DNA of the vintage. It is showing you truly the direct link to nature. When you are adding yeast, and there are hundreds. Of yeasts that you can choose from. I call it like the flavor and fragrance suitcase for mm-hmm. the wine industry. <laughs> you can fine tune, you can turn your uh, Chardonnay into something that smells like a Sauvignon Blanc, or you can do your Gruner like a Chardonnay or like a Riesling just by picking the right yeast. Commercial S- yeasts commercial are kind of like designer babies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And so most of the very, very pale popular roses that Everybody drinks and everybody may say, oh, I have no trouble spending $120 for that rosé. Is going to be coming out of the very fashionable flavor and fragrance suitcase. And I've got no tolerance. I mean, most rosés that I drink, shocking, really don't have any aromatic profile. Mm. Do not smell like peaches or any other garbage. They're smells, dry, salty. They're yeah, bare. They're, they're, salty, they're like brief yummy. impressions of a red wine. Right. Yeah. So, so it really is much more natural. In the way, I don't know why this is going to be a little bit non sequitur, but Mandy Aftel, who is a natural perfumer up in Berkeley, told me, and she's fantastic, actually, I I adore her. She doesn't drink, but I don't hold it against her. (laughs) But when she does the seminars with artificial fragrances and natural fragrances, people in the audience always love the synthetic rose fragrance as opposed to the natural rose fragrance Mm. because it's far more intense. And you can say the same thing about native yeast Versus commercial yeast wines.
1: Yes, I, I agree with you. Man, that's so, it's so true. The one big thing that I've said always to people that I think has taken wings and flight for some people in LA is that like, you know, the beloved for many whispering angel and being like, listen, it's basically like the McDonald's of wine like it's the same it's the same exact thing right. and once you put things in the context of that that it's just like manipulated flavors to resemble something that is enticing you and tricking you that it, you like it then you're kind of caught in this like Ferris wheel of horrors of like what you're ingesting into your body. But I did get a woman who emailed me from Texas the other day who was like, You're scaring me and I have nowhere to buy wine. And I was like, Girl, I'm sorry. It's okay.
0: I it felt <laughs> terrible. Where is she in Texas? We can find out. Yes. I was she like, can Here's find three it. shops. Yeah, there's right. great. Yeah, yeah right. I know. No. I
1: felt so bad though. I was like, Maybe I quit. Maybe I stopped doing the podcast. Just kidding, Michelle. Michelle's, Michelle's like, <laughs> Michelle's my lovely producer. Producer. One thing I think about a lot, especially with the Psalm team I'm training, mm-hmm. are like wine education and the traditions of wine. And it kind of feeds back into like what's been happening with wine uh, in the last couple years. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's really cool that more people are into it, that like there was the foodie movement and now there's like the wine movement right. and people are really Thoughtful, and they want to know the farmer, and like, you know, society, you can kind of predict movements like this in some ways. But what are your thoughts? Like, one thing that I think people are refocusing on now is like the sommelier, or the wine professional, Mm -hmm. or the wine retailer. Do you think that the traditions of wine have? gotten lost in that the pendulum has swinged because, uh, you know, like in the early 2000s, I feel like it was, if there's anything that like the quartermaster sommeliers is, it's rigorous, right? With education. Right. And not necessarily that you need that. Right. If you want to do it, cool. It's not for me. Yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. But it's also like, then is the pendulum swinging the
0: other way where it's like some people are, don't have this base level of education, you know? Mm, a lot of people out there going for that base level of education. And I just don't think it's necessarily at a good place right now. Interesting. Okay. Uh, wine education is really relatively new, mm. you know, probably in the last I don't know, four decades. Yeah. And it's getting co opted by big wine. Yeah. So it's shaping palates in a certain way. Now, at the same time, we're having this natural wine, little tiny David against the Goliath, (laughs) that is, though it may be not even two percent of the market, is having a profound effect on the market. So yes. You cannot evaluate this I don't know if I say it in English, it's point triple. In French, it sounds point trap. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds much better in English. Point triple. Uh,
1: <laughs> point triple. Oh, yeah. 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 We're in LA, LA, Alice, so we can just be yeah.
0: point triple. F- <laughs> FX,
1: lampere. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: There's no way that you can evaluate this and, um, no. and be studying for Master One. No.
1: And that's one fascinating thing to me about a natural wine. One thing I love about it. But I also require all
0: my sommeliers to understand traditional wine. It's very important. And traditional winemaking. And there's so many messed up things that are happening in the wine world right Mm. now. And one of them, I don't know if it's messed up, but it is very peculiar that, and I saw this in France several years ago where I would meet people who only had exposure to natural wine, people from babyhood, mm. who only have exposure to natural wine and have no idea about the classics. And this is happening now yeah. as well. And you know, there's some really phenomenal classic wines that are traditional Yes, that need to be known about. And if you are studying wine, you need to know the history of wine and you need to know the land and where it comes from and tradition in that area. And there is a tradition for natural wine that is relatively new. And it's actually more style tradition yes, than place tradition. Agree. And I'm much more about place tradition. I think it's really important. Otherwise, you can't fix what you're loving and loving to drink in its point in culture and history. Yeah, I agree.
1: I am in 100% agreement with you. I feel like I often think about winemakers and a lot of the natural wine movement and a lot of the people who are making wine that like is not quote unquote textbook. You know, Mm -hmm. some people would argue like, well, well, it's a new textbook or it's the textbooks the way it's supposed to be, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Maybe there's a valid argument in that context. I'm not entirely sure yet, but for me, it's almost like it's taking artistry to an entirely new level. So Mm -hmm. it's not so much about place
0: as it is about like the person. And that's where, as you were saying, style. Right. So for but all these people who come in asking, I want a cloudy wine, and I'm sure you've heard it in the shop, which is actually one of the one of the reasons that I wrote Not to Wine for the People is because a friend of mine in a shop in New York at Discovery Wine said, people are coming in asking for cloudy I wine. I love Discovery. I love Discovery, yeah. too. And like, what do you mean they're coming in asking for a cloudy wine? I found that so fascinating. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Only a cloudy wine can be a natural wine. I can show you many. Okay, this is cloudy. But I can show you many natural wines that are not cloudy. Oh, so many and but, they're delicious and they're delicious and i've seen people reject them as not being natural enough. yeah i
1: i that's one of the thing that really kind of scares me is that like there are so many beautiful wines that fall under the same exact right. wine making and people are like well it's not fucked up enough so yeah. it doesn't look weird doesn't challenge me to mm-hmm. question is it good you know it's like this anarchy thing right which is really fascinating and yeah i'm glad i'm glad we're simpatico at yes, this we're point simpatico on this to point. me it's like good wine is good wine. I actually brought this wine for you because I was kind of excited to talk about it. Like, I don't know if I love it. I like it, but like, it's good wine. Like I was like, when, when we start evaluating Macabeo, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, is this an example of what Macabeo can and should be? Okay,
0: well, I do love it. Yeah. I absolutely do love it. It has just the right amount of volatility mm. that gives it on the edge, yeah. I love the texture in it. Mm-hmm. It's funny that it only has two days of, but macabell has kind of thick skin, so yeah. that makes sense. But I love the slightly like rough texture. So even though it's only two days, it still gets skin contact kind of category. It has, without going into the flavor, I have an emotional response to it. Yeah. It feels good in my body. Mm. The acidity (laughs) is delicious. Yeah. It makes you want, makes me want another glass. Like, of course, after you, like my day is done so I can just drink (laughs) through this interview. You just drink it. (laughs) So, yeah, no, I think this is a gorgeous example. Mm. There's a lot of, it's lively.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Alice, come every week. (laughs) Let's talk about America. Cause it's Why where not? We live. Why not? You're in LA <laughs> this
0: weekend. You I, live in New York. Okay, uh, I know. <laughs> I know, twist I, your arm. I know. I get enough for being a, a Euro or Eurasian file. So but let's I, talk about yeah. America. Let's talk
1: about America. <laughs> what do you hope to see like the next five years for for wine? I mean, you put the book out, Natural Wine for the People. To me, like. Can you talk about the intention of that and also where where do you hope this you start
0: a trajectory moving? Mm. So now it's moving really, really quickly, and I think, like, this is going to sound really depressing. Like any group and group pro- politics, you go through, you know, the romance phase and it's glorious and it's utopian, <laughs> and then it gets co-opted by crass commercialization and... You know, there's infighting and arguments and splintering. Yes. And unfortunately, we are on that side. We're on the splinter side. We're on the splinter side. I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't understand why it's happening. I really don't get it. I do. Really? People have decided that they are going to make money off of it now. It was not they can make money. Mm. And natural wine is associated with the party, the right. anarchist party, but the capitalists are moving in. Right. So then there's a very hardcore dogmatic sector coming in as well, where not one has to be completely zero, zero. Right. And they're holier than thou, which is funny because I used to be considered holier than thou, and maybe I am holier than thou because I'm feeling far superior than those people. <laughs> so without a doubt, but it is becoming factionalized as opposed to all about, you know, a Beautiful togetherness. Everybody should be together. It's sort of like the death of the hippies, the death of natural wine, long live natural wine.
1: Yeah. I guess I can see that. I mean, to me, what's so funny is like none of this would exist unless the customer was more invested. Mm -hmm. And that is capitalism in and of itself. And like, I think that anarchy is great on the consumer side. But is that what the winemakers all want, you know? It doesn't always factor. I think some of them do, and some of them are like, it's for
0: the people, but... The French were very much like that, and facts still are. And if you look at most people's pricings, when you go to France, it's so easy to drink cheaply. So much easier. Actually, all of Europe, and not here. And there are other factors at play here, but I know a lot of people, and only one person, maybe two people in America, that really feel strongly about not raising their prices because they want people to be able to drink. On the other hand, there's the rise of the cult classic, such as Pierre Auvernois, and mm-hmm. when you go visit Pierre on the Girard, who is often referred to as the Domaine Romani-Conti of mm-hmm. the natural wine world. The wines are amazing, yeah. They are absolutely amazing, and his prices haven't gone up out of his cellar. right. And he doesn't know what to do about it. It's the same thing as and but yet about. they're
1: rising. You know, I asked some importers because I've been buying long enough that mm-hmm. I've watched things I bought for twenty, twenty-five dollars, mm-hmm. they're now forty to fifty five dollars a bottle. And you know, the the reactions I get are twofold. Oh, the yield was down, so the price is up. That's mm-hmm. their choice. Or the demand is high, so that's the market. You know, and I'm so curious about who's setting that market value on wine. And that's where I can, I can be a little bit of an anarchist where I'm like, how do we, you know, I try and keep my pricing at Helen's pretty fair. Like Mm -hmm. I don't do a full retail markup on some stuff. It's the more expensive stuff. I market up less. You know, I try Mm -hmm. and like, we try and get good wine for the people as best that we can, but it's a business. Business, And in some ways I'm like, I'd rather have more people drinking better wine than less, you know. Sometimes it feels like it's an exclusive club. I feel like there's no. It's like not a win-win. It's and it's not a lose-lose. It's, mm-hmm. it to me, it kind of seems like it'll always have a fracture.
0: But right now, with so many more people drinking natural wine, the fact of the matter is, there's not enough good wine to go around. Yeah, that's true. There just isn't. No. So what is going to come down out of that. I know a lot of wine shops and restaurants that they blink and they lose their chance to buy wine that is not, you know, heavily allocated, but it's gone. Oh, this happens in LA every week.
1: Mm -hmm. The stuff you've bought for years, all of a sudden it's gone. It wasn't allocated. I poured it by the glass for two months last year and now it's like, bye. Right. Such a,
0: it's heartbreaking. So I don't know how all of that is going to play out. out. I don't either. Oh my God, we're gonna start crying over oh here. <laughs> okay, let's let's get everything back.
1: <laughs> we're gonna get back up on track. So, Alice, well, let's try the yo yo. Okay. Okay. This is the La Tranchie 2017 vintage Grenache Noir made in Bagnoles.
0: You speak great French. Uh, no. <laughs> the sad fact is, I can speak a little bit, but not nearly what I should. <laughs> this winds up kind of a
1: weird place in my mind. It's not bad. Not bad, weird. It's in an interesting transitional moment. And I think that's one thing that people aren't talking about with natural wine because it's often consumed when it's too young or when Mm -hmm. it's a baby. This is not even that old, 2017. And it could, Uh, to me, this wine will like be good in different ways over time, but
0: probably it will get drunk before. Before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd I'd put this down. When I was at Noma last year Mm -hmm. and- Actually, have you been to Denmark? I just went, and I just went to Noma a couple months ago for the first time. Was it, so it was the vegetable? It
1: was the vegetarian menu. I was opening night. Mm. It was wild. The experience was unparalleled. I would say, though, I mean, it's a thing, you know. You just got to get on the ride. Yeah. It was fascinating. My partner, he was like, this is insane.
0: Did you order wine off the list, or did you have the wine pairing? I did the pairing. The pairings that Mods did last year were spectacular. And what is phenomenal about Copenhagen is that there's tremendous amount of older natural wine and Mm. you see how it ages. So a wine like this is just going to age quite beautifully. Yeah,
1: I agree completely. Like I opened it and the moment I opened it, I was like, I need to make sure that people buy this who have temperature control and will put it down for even a year, two years, like in three or four, I think it'll be really singing. And what we're talking about is like, it's not bad. You could drink it, but it's at it. There's a, there's a crux of tension that's at the top of the wine. That is the fruit and the acidity are not commingling. Yeah, it's
0: completely. perfectly delicious now, but it, yeah. That tannin is gonna resolve. Mm-hmm. It's going to eventually meet the acid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's exciting for me. Yeah. Alice, let me ask you this question. Go ahead. What do you think about crystals? <laughs> <laughs> My name is not Marian Williamson. So <laughs> Oh, yeah. Who are, I, you, who are you rooting for?
1: I mean, we're looking at a crystal. We're looking at a crystal. I mean, There's a rando crystal in the studio today. It's a, it's
0: a little bit, I have to say, I don't have a good feeling about this crystal.
1: I, uh, it feels a little flat. Yeah, the it, crystal feels like it got broken in half. I, yeah, I don't like the whole dreidel thing on the. Oh, it's tip. a dreidel. Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's just not a good
1: crystal. It's not. A, and you live in New York. So we got a New Yorker in LA having Top, to throw in shade a on some crystal. It's not my crystal. <laughs> it needs to get charged. That's it. right. It needs to. <laughs> I'm super excited though about this book. It's really cool. Natural Wine for the People! Exclamation point.
0: Mm-hmm. I have two hands in the air. Mm-hmm. What do you want to work on next though? Do you want to keep writing? Well, I am. I have this newsletter. I'm going to continue writing the newsletter and I'm going to grow it and have some people Write for it who are not me.
1: Amazing. Very smart. So, move
0: into the editorial, and I've just started doing it. And it's actually the trouble is that I haven't been finding the right people I want to write for me, but I think now I'm getting there. (laughs) So, that will happen. And after this book, I'm going to take a break from writing about wine, unless somebody decides to actually give me a lot of money to write a wine book, which hasn't happened yet. So, you never know so calling all people to throw out some cash right (laughs) yeah and then maybe I could do one I just don't think it's going to happen I have a book proposal out in the next couple of weeks and I'm not going to talk about it because it'll jinx it I'm excited so you're okay cool you're (laughs) writing
1: in a different form where in New York do you like to drink wine and eat and what are your favorite spots right now They don't need to be trendy. Just Alice firing
0: it up. New York is difficult.
1: (laughs) But you live there. I live there.
0: Thank goodness I get out a lot. Yeah. But it's difficult because it's very expensive, and to drink is very expensive, and you have better at home, Mm -hmm. and uh, most of the food is very corporate. Even the places that I love, all of a sudden, they go on to a different restaurant, and so I do like Brooklyn. I love Four Horsemen. I am... Still, very much an advocate of 10 bells that now has a nice, deep, old wine list. It's so good. I was just there and it's amazing. And I ordered Kristen Cheetah
1: Rose, and I was like, I was a happy little clam. And it was, something's happened there. It's, it's re-energized. Yeah. I love it.
0: Yeah. I wish their food would be a little bit better. I didn't eat anything. Yeah, that was a good thing.
1: <laughs> I went to Servos, which is I was just going to say Servos.
0: It's the best. <laughs> it's the it's best. So, it's so Cervos good. Servos is the best. It's literally the best. Which is right kind of around the corner. And mm-hmm. I go there a lot. Yeah. And I'm actually going to do an event there in November. Oh, my gosh. Um, but the food is the way I like it to be, which is you can eat as little or as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Fancy, comfort, whatever, whatever they have. And the chef is just wildly creative. Mm-hmm. And the wine list is always super interesting. And, and it's, it's always small. changing. That's what I like. And it's, it's small and it's cozy. And it is romantic. It's good date spot because it, what is great about... Ten Bells is, you know, you have that sultry, low lighting, yeah which you also have at Cervos, which yeah. is great. So that is one of my favorite. I love Racine. Mm. Um Diego, who's there now, is, I think, a super talented chef. And that is a very affordable wine list now. Oh. So that's good. That's great. So those are probably the usual where Anthony Kellen um, is down the block for me. Yes. Very nice. Yes. Um, he used to be an L.A. Right, person. Right. Now he's in NYC killing it. Yeah. And there's always something good to drink there. That's, I don't think there's anything really Like, I always wish I was in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paris, Tbilisi, London, where I haven't been for a while. Oh, let's go
1: travel. Let's go. I'm ready. Alice, thank you so much for coming and sharing, like, a fraction of your mind and thoughts, and feelings, and insights
0: about the wine community with us today. It was really awesome. Thank you for having me, and for bringing, actually, some super delicious wines. Yay! (laughs) Where can people find you, find your book? Let's see, where can they find me? They can find me in New York. They could find me at thefiringline.com. Thefiringline.com, okay. you, You Google, can't remember that. Alice Firing newsletter will get you there. Go to the events page and find out where I'm going to be. You can find the book almost anywhere. Like Amazon, Google. I mean, BookSoup. Let's not go to Amazon. Yes, BookSoup. BookSoup. Okay, we're not, we are supporting small local businesses. A lot of wine shops carry it. Go to your favorite indie book and get it. Okay. Bookstore. Amazon is, you know.
1: Okay, sorry, great. Jeff Bezos. We're not going to Amazon. Yeah, no. He's not a listener. Don't worry. It's okay.
0: <laughs> He's not a supporter. Yeah. Right?
1: Uh, not that I know okay. of, but I did do a party for him once. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Not supposed to talk about it. Just told
0: everybody on air.
1: Alice, thank you so much. Thank you. It's great. I'm feeling lucky because I get to have dinner with Alice. So, bye, everybody. Bye. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Later.